Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. This episode of The Infertile Diagnosis is sponsored by the Baby and Me Journal. Now, if you follow me over on Instagram, you've seen this journal maybe once or twice, but do you know the story behind it? I started to create this journal for myself um, right before my third and last frozen embryo transfer. I have been doing some mental work and I use the five minute journal and I really wanted a space where I can keep track of my meds, my supplements, my eating habits, my sleep, and also write once a day what was positive about that day. Now, I didn't realize how important this journal was going to be for me because my third embryo transfer ended up in an early miscarriage. And we were blindsided because we thought we had cracked the code. We had our IVF baby, we had our diet, we had our lifestyle, we had our mindset. And obviously, we can't control everything in life. So we thought that was the end of our journey. But two months later, I found I was pregnant naturally for the first time in eight years. Now, even though I was super joyful and incredibly happy that all my hard work of my diet and my lifestyle paid off, I was really pissed off. I was so mad that the knowledge that we can have a lot of control over our fertility health just wasn't out there. So the Baby and Me journal really helped me through these ups and downs that I was having. I truly saw the importance of trying your best and looking for the small positive things you had going on in your life. The Baby and Me journal can be used over three years. And I hear you saying it, girl, I hope my journey is not three years long and me too. That's why I designed the journal to be used at any stage of your journey and when you get pregnant and when you have your baby. So you can continue this practice of very simple but yet effective mindfulness for three years. It's now truly amazing to look back at the end of my journey and see all the ups and downs and see all the small things that I was truly grateful for. You can check out the Baby and Me journal over on the website at mymindfulme.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. I am your host, Monica Cox from MyMindfulMe.com. I hope you have been having an amazing January. And today's episode is our first guest of the month. We have two this month. And it is Robin Birkin. She is definitely a trailblazer. She, I spotted Robin quite a few years ago now, like well five years ago maybe um on the internet when i first started um you know doing the whole fertility coaching she was already out there and she had a podcast already and we um yeah have obviously connected through our journeys of um becoming mothers through ivf and supporting other women through infertility um She definitely is a wealth of knowledge and yeah, I'm super happy to have her on the podcast finally. So Robin took control of her situation when her doctors um, didn't have the same intuitions that she did, that there was something a little bit more going on with her body and maybe, you know, some of the reasons why she wasn't maintaining a pregnancy. So she took control and she um, shares her story with us. So I truly hope you gain some inspiration from this podcast of how you can become your own hero especially in your doctor's office because you know you've heard me talk about it before it took me you know a long time to brave up and demand the things that i needed for myself and so yeah without further ado here's the beautiful robin Today we are here with Robin and Robin, um, you have massively taken control over your life and I think a little bit of your infertility journey had a big part of that. It definitely did. My 
infertility journey has literally changed the course of my life in pretty much every aspect. Um, and here I am years later, I don't even recognize the person that I was before and everything's different. The way I approach problems, the way I eat, the way um, I take care of my mind, my infertility journey like was kind of the um, changing point of my life. Well, take us back. Take us back to before you started trying to conceive. Um, what were you like? Did you eat healthy before? Is this something new? So you don't know what you don't know, right? And I have these <laughs> memories of like two things, two kinds of foods that I used to eat. And I used to think, you know, this is in my early kind of career days, thinking that I was the business uh, and having these two foods. So one of them was these box drinks that we get in Australia. And they're like breakfast ones, they're called up and go. And so I used to drink these box drinks as I was heading out to my corporate job every day. And they, I don't know, they've got like oats and things like that. They've got a milky flavor. And one day, one of my friends, Anika, she's a total health and wellness fitness buff, looked at me and said, are you freaking crazy? That's got 29 grams of sugar in it. And you're drinking that every day. That's not healthy. Uh, and kind of falling off my perch. And from that moment on, I've, whenever I see up and goes, I think of Anika saying to me, Robin, that has 29 grams of sugar in it. But the other thing that I used to do is every day for my lunch at work. And again, thinking I was like the business doing this, I used to have these packet noodles, the Asian flavor. So they're like me goreng noodles. <laughs> they're like 30 cents to buy one, but they're literally just a hotbed of like MSG and artificial flavors and obviously zero nutrition. And I used to have these, and one of my friends who sat in the desk next to me used to eat this as well. Fast forward to a few years, still thought I was the business. Um, and I used to be like constantly be baking like cookies with like ton of butter, ton of sugar, uh, and these chocolate chip cookies. They were like my, you know, what would you say? My specialty. And then I look back on my life now and every time I'm like, yeah, gee, I've changed so much in the way that I eat, but you don't know what you don't know. So when you know better, you do better. But, you know, I've definitely come from a very different place. And I guess part of the start of me eating a lot better was I started working in a job about eight, nine years ago. And just before that, I was working a very high stress job. My hours at this job were 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it was a high flying marketing job. I was an advertising and promotions manager working like ridiculous hours. I'd have three night events after work every day. It would take me an hour to get there and back. So I'd leave the house at seven, get home at seven on a good day. And I had three months, I don't even, I'm such an idiot for leaving it this long, where I was getting ridiculous headaches. I actually ridiculous headaches. I kept losing my voice. And I was patching this all up with uh, strong painkillers and cold and flu tablets and soldiering on and thinking like, this is, I gotta do this, I've gotta power through. And then I ended up having to take this mega dose of antibiotics and being like I was like hold up what the fuck am I doing in this place this is not right and it was kind of you know you have these moments in your life where you're like oh well something needs to change and that was one of these moments where I was like I don't think that this like super high stress job is doing me any favors but I also took my booty off to see a naturopath at that point because I was starting to get really worried about you know, what was going on in my health. Uh, and she ended up, you know, like I still didn't learn all the lessons. She put me on this uh, kind of a keto diet. So it's not the keto diet that most people know now that's, you know, sort of 80% fat, but it was a, ver a similar version of that. And she'd have me do these urine tests multiple times a day to check my ketones. But and this is where it comes to, you know, like you've got to take charge of your journey. You've got to use your gut instinct to know, you know, what is good and what's not good. But in order to be reaching my daily sort of protein intake, which she didn't question at all. And she actually sold these products to me. I would walk out of appointments like 
$370 lighter in my wallet because of all of the protein shakes and bars that she had me buying to be on this diet. So like I was eating a ton of salad, but I was also eating like a ton of processed shit at the same time, which this lady was encouraging and selling to me. And at that point I kind of tuned into my gut and I was like, no, this is also a little bit messed up. This doesn't feel good. Did you feel better on that or was it still? I felt I lost three kilos. So, which is probably, I think probably around six pounds and then it stopped and I was exercising like crazy. She'd get me on the, the things and she'd be like, yep, fat, uh, fat muscle percentages are still off. And I'd be like, I'm freaking eating the diet that you're telling me I'm doing so much exercise and nothing is working. And I felt like, so, so I, there were some things that I felt were better, but I didn't, it, there was just something off. Like, you know, that there's just something off this weight, like was kind of just hanging on. And so I still didn't feel right. So then we fast forward, I found a different naturopath and this is when at the same time as I found this other naturopath, things started to fall into place for me. She started to give, she gave me handouts on, these are some of the foods that you should be eating. She put me on an elimination diet and she, you know, wasn't trying to sell me a thousand and one, you know, junk food supplements. And so that was the point where I started to realize the impact of what I was putting in my body. She was telling me, she gave me these handouts with like, try and eat things like quinoa and amaranth. And this is back in 2012. And nobody, the quinoa wasn't a thing then. So I was like, the fuck is quinoa? And so I, <laughs> I was like, what is this? And I was like, you know who eats this crazy food? Vegans eat this crazy food. Uh, and so then I got a whole bunch of vegan cookbooks. I got you know, like I even got books on like paleo and all sorts of diets to just try and work out, okay, let's just try and solve or figure out a little bit more, learn a bit more about nutrition, about um, like what I'm putting in my body, what I'm supposed to eat that has quinoa in it. And then that was where I started to eat a lot more whole foods. I started to, you know, not be afraid of snacks, but eating like whole food snacks. I started to work out that, do you know what? Dairy does not agree with my stomach. Like it just, whatever, I'm a firm believer that gluten and dairy should be cut out of fertility diets. But not only that, like dairy literally does not work with my body. Yeah. So that was the point where I started to change what I was eating uh, and really learn, you know, what I should be putting in my body to fuel my body. And at this point, were you connecting at all thinking about having kids or was this was just a personal journey that you were going through? At the same time as I started seeing Kirsty, my new naturopath, it was the same time that I had just hit 30 and all of a sudden the biological clock started ticking. So I went to see Kirsty and she, the, one of the reasons why I chose her was because she specialized in like prenatal nutrition. So unlike some of, you know, well, maybe unlike you, I was like type A, I was like, I'm going to get onto this. I'm going to do like all the right things, tick every single box with, you know, my diet. I'm going to make this work the first time. And so I did this prenatal diet with her. Uh, I initially, I completely resisted dairy because I had been vegetarian for many years. So dairy was like my life. Dairy was like three times a day. Uh, and so I literally at the time I started seeing her was the time I started like her three month preconception plan, uh, essentially. Okay. So you did her three month plan and you got pregnant, right? No, <laughs> fucking crickets. And, and I, I was, I was so convinced that because I had ticked what I thought at the time were all the boxes, uh, I was still working a high pressure marketing job, a different job that was a thousand times better, but I was still working quite a high pressure job. Um, 
and you know i thought that because i was ticking and you know like it's all a progression like you learn a bit more then you learn a bit more then you learn a bit more but no we didn't get pregnant we got a year in like most people and even trying to conceive you know we talk about infertility being a year in if you're under 35 but you're broken at six months i feel <laughs> it's so hard when it doesn't work it's so hard when you've put in so much effort you've invested so much into this outcome and then it doesn't happen so that so nothing happens so we found ourselves then you know a year after we started trying to conceive at a fertility clinic uh, we went we started you know going through the motions doing all the testing uh, we st my husband's sperm test results came back super average, like just under the bar of what they should be. So he went to Kirsty. So he started on the plan. Uh, and, you know, up until that point, he was so reluctant to do anything about it. But then he got all of his sperm into like the ranges that they should be in. Um, he, you know, and credit to him, he like gave up so many like all of his alcohol all of his friends were in this time where everyone used to go out and he he was resisting and that you know for a lot of men that's how they socialize uh over some beers that maybe that's something wrong with our society but you know that's what they do so he mm -hmm. he worked really hard to change his lifestyle and he brought everything back into the normal ranges all of my tests seemed to be in the normal range my naturopath was like, you're like in good health as far as I can see. I felt physically, I felt amazing. The best I'd ever felt in my life. I'm still to this day, physically, that's the best I've ever felt in my life. Um, but I was missing a whole chunk of the piece. And that was that I was still so ridiculously stressed. Like you cannot, um, or maybe you can, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in this shitstorm as well. But I was so stressed. I was so fragile and broken emotionally and desperate. Like I, that desperate energy that you feel when you're trying to conceive and it's not happening. Um, so that was sort of where we were. And we just started going through the motions. We started doing, okay, ovulation induction. Um, just to, you know, so that they could make sure my hormones were at the levels they should be. Okay, now we'll try IUI. Okay, that's not working. Okay, now we'll try IVF. Okay, there's something not quite right with the sperm. Um, the sperm, like we had very little fertilized and I had great retrieval rates. I had hyperstimulation, which is no fun at all. Um, we had hardly any fertilized, but I got pregnant on my first IVF cycle with hyperstimulation and I felt like death in bed, but I was like, yes, like this, you know, here we are. Um, and then I had a miscarriage and like, if I felt like emotionally, if I could be, if I was at rock bottom, there was now a whole new level of hell uh, emotionally that I was feeling. Oh, um, it was, um, it was just so hard. Yeah. After that after I had that miscarriage, I tr I've never felt um, as low in my life, uh, as much of a failure in my life. Uh, and I felt like I said to my husband at one point, I can deal with IVF. If I need to go through this hell, that's fine. If I need to go through the hell of having hyperstimulation, that's fine. But I can't do all three. Mm. And so many of us feel that way. But you do, like whatever the low is, you still put one foot in front of the other. Um, but that was also my wake up call. And we can, I feel, skirt, you know, at this low level, but not have the rock bottom enough to have the wake up call. Mm -hmm. And so that was my wake up call that I was like, nah. Like something here is still not right. Um, I had, um, we went on a last minute holiday to Lombok in Indonesia. And I just all of a sudden had this swell of gratitude for 
uh, my life, Lombok is, a, we, was, we went to like an eco retreat. And so there was, there was none of this like touristy shops or anything like that. We literally had our little eco retreat and then there was a village there. And I went for a tour of the village and people sleep on like in like the floor in mud huts. That's what it's like there. And it kind of started to put things into perspective for me. I was there, my progesterone levels during this cycle were like 4,700 ridiculous when usually with a pregnancy, they should be about 70. So they had just shanked the uh, medications that I was on. And so my head was just falling out in chunks in the shower in this eco retreat. It was this real kind of juxtaposition um, of the situation. Here I was in this beautiful place, but I'd been putting my life on hold the whole time. I had been, you know, like when you're a type A and you plan everything out, it can be so hard to divert from the plan when things aren't working. Uh, and I realized that I was not in, like, I was not investing anything at all into my emotional health. Mm. I was just like wallowing in my depression and I was stressed out of my mind. Uh, and I then, I, at the same time as I was like, whoa, this epiphany that actually mental health matters and actually like stress matters. I took myself to my GP, my general practitioner. And I was like, you know what? I just really love to run a few tests again, if we can, can you just, and I said to her, you know, like, this isn't right. Like it shouldn't be like this. Number one, it shouldn't have been that that little number of eggs fertilized. It should be about 75% and we were at 25% fertilization. So the clinic, you know, they did the right thing. They were like, okay, well, the next cycle is going to be an ICSI cycle. Um, but I took myself to my GP and I was like, this still isn't right. Like I, you know, I don't think this is what should have happened. And they ran some tests. She ran some more tests. I didn't even know what test she was going to run, but I was intending for it to just be like iron levels and vitamin D levels. And so she ran the test and then she just sent them straight to my fertility doctor. And that's a bold move. When you start to take your infertility into your own hands, mm. that can rattle some feathers. But at the same time, this is your money. This is your life. Like it's a lot of money, right? We don't, you don't want to, you want to be putting a hundred percent effort in. You want to be making sure that you are comfortable with what's happening. You want to feel like your clinic is leaving no stone unturned. So I, I went back to my fertility specialist and he was like, I'm sorry, why did you get these tests done by your general practitioner? You know that we tested these all a year ago and we, they were all perfectly fine. He was like, why did you do that? And I was like, you know, I just didn't want them to be, because I was, as I said, I was vegetarian and then I went, I became vegan actually on my journey. And I was like, I was like, you know, I just thought because I don't eat meat, I wanted to get my iron levels and things like that checked. I'd hate for it to be something so minor. And my iron levels were actually great. And my other levels were great. But all of a sudden, my ANA test had become positive. And ANA test is anti-nuclear antibodies. It's a sign that your immune system is switched on. It's, it's like, I don't know what you call it. Like it's non-prescriptive. Like it won't tell you, some people have, and this could well be my case. Some people have positive ANA results apparently. And that's just their bodies might be a total crock of shit. Um, but they say in like, you know, the medical world that sometimes some people just run with a positive ANA, but it can, it obviously can also mean there is some kind of autoimmune condition. Well, let me just step back there, right? Is it normal yeah. to be high or have a switched on AMH? Uh, so not AMH, oh, ANA. ANA. Um, so with conventional medicine, that's what they say. It's okay to be that way. They say 2% of the population, that's how they roll. But here's the thing. 
But so that's fine. So I don't like nothing, right? <laughs> like I'm just trying to like get back into like how things are normal, which exactly. surely that's not a normal thing. Even if 50% of people have it, and if it's not how we are biologically supposed to be as a human race, why all of a sudden is it okay in some situations? Right. Out there, right? Okay, go ahead. And it's the same, but that's the same as um, an unexplained infertility diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. It's just that you don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> like, not like it's not like this is a thing. It doesn't like, so when you say, you know, oh, some people just roll with that. Or when you say, oh, some people just have unexplained infertility. It doesn't mean this is a, I don't think it means this is a diagnosis. I don't think it means this is normal or this is okay. It just means that someone who's trained in conventional medicine doesn't know the answer. Yeah. So, and also, well, I didn't test positive for it a year ago. So... Clearly, that's not just uh, how I roll. But um, so here I was, I had this positive ANA test. I didn't even I didn't even know that it came back positive until I got an invoice in the mail from one of the blood testing clinics. And I called them and I said, I'm sorry. He said this was bulk billed, which means that our government pays for it. And I was like, he wrote bulk bill on the blood test order. So I know that I shouldn't be paying for this. And they said, no, no, that one was bulk billed, but he's ordered further testing. And I was like, interesting. So this is your fertility clinic ordering Mm -hmm. more testing without you even knowing that there's an issue. Yes. So my GP ordered a test. He then, so he was like, why did you ask? Why did you ask your GP for this? Um, why are you doing this? And I was like, this is why. And so he said, look, we're just going to test your ANA again. And totally like this is quite logical sense. Sometimes your body's just fighting an infection. So you might've had the flu or something like that. Makes sense that your immune system would be switched on. He tested it and it was higher. So it was worse. (laughs) And so he's then without me knowing ordered further tests for a few things that might, um, you know, be in line with a positive immune test, such as, like, you can get different, like, types of results in an ANA test. Like, it's like there might be four categories, right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, he's tested me for a few of the things in those four categories. But in actual fact, like, autoimmune disease, there's, like, 100 autoimmune conditions. Um, So, he's tested me for, like, four or five, like, lupus and things like that, and they all came back negative. So, then he's, like, I don't know. So, and I took, like, I took that, but he also did put me on prednisolone and aspirin to suppress my immune system. Mm-hmm. So, which is that, just for people who don't know is a steroid. Yeah. And sometimes they, I mean, sometimes they give people with cancer prednisolone. Um, so that was where I was. And so that's what I started taking. And I did, that's how I fell pregnant with Chloe, my first, who's four years old at the time of recording this. And so, but here's the thing, like my ANA test was negative when I landed at the fertility clinic in 2013. And it then became positive over the course of our journey. So I don't feel like on my fertility journey, I don't feel like you know, I feel like there's a lot of people in the same boat that there's no red flag. There's no like 100%. This is the cause of what happened. And sometimes there are multiple things. So something, you know, even though my husband's sperm came back in to the normal ranges, which even I find like there's normal ranges and there's optimal ranges. So that's another thing. But um, so if one bar above, like he's was better than that but if you're one bar into the normal range that's still not that great um but you know could it be uh something else going on with his sperm that science just doesn't know about could there be something going on with implantation uh could there have been um you know something else going on but my immune system didn't start off that way and to this day i will always wonder 
whether part of that was the incredible stress that I was under. And there's lots more stuff coming out that's saying that stress, not stress is necessarily a cause of an autoimmune condition. We can be predisposed in our body, I believe, to certain things, right? Mm -hmm. So some people I feel, um, oh, and of course, none of the examples are coming to me, but some people, you know, like we all have our Achilles heel, right? Yeah. So for some people that might be infertility, and infertility obviously has a lot of other areas. For some people, that might be autoimmune conditions. Um, so whatever it is, your body, you know, the, what's the first thing to go in your body? Uh, and for me, maybe, I always think now that stress may have triggered my immune system. Yeah, it just added up because, like you said, you lived a very stressful life, a very unhealthy life uh, diet-wise for so many years and even though you took control of your diet um there was that missing factor that you weren't um reducing your stress and you know the body is always trying to get back in line right and you were probably doing more than most to get it back in line but you were probably missing those key links to get it back into full happiness um and it, it is interesting when we don't see it in black and white right because that's what you know fertility is such a mind fuck is because a lot of the time it is just not black and white you could you know for me like my last two frozen embryo transfers one was a pregnancy one was not and I was doing the exact same thing I was on the same diet I had the same lifestyle I had the same immune suppressing drugs I mean and the only thing that we can think of is that the two embryos that didn't make it just weren't good enough we didn't do genetic testing and we got them before I knew uh, before I knew I had an immune issue so even though they look good they probably weren't good enough but yeah it's it is a frustrating thing because we want to black away it we want to answer right we don't yeah want to just sum it up to the fates and and i think i don't know if you get frustrated but for me especially with my natural pregnancy people are like oh it's just one of those things we hear that all the time i'm like no i put in incredibly hard work and for me i would i am lucky that mine got in a stage where I can tell exactly what was happening, but people definitely just chalk it down to, oh, well, you know, just one of those things. And a lot of doctors do as well. And it's just so frustrating. It's like, no, there, there is a rhyme and reason. Sometimes we are not going to know that. But um, I think when you are going through infertility, like yourself, rechecking and going, no, there's something still amiss and being your own advocate. Do you feel, um, what was kind of, what gave you that power to go to your, your GP and ask for more blood tests? I think, you know, so this is all around the time that I, uh, and not many of our eggs fertilized. And so here we are, we then had another failed uh, transfer using two embryos and that didn't take after that but I was really like like the stakes were another retrieval a lot more money and here I was after this miscarriage I was like I don't have the emotions to deal with this again so I was in this real place like so I feel like sort of stuck between like working out all my emotions and having all of these discoveries that the way that I had been handling stress and I've been in like stressful situations a lot but the way that I was coping with that stress was really unhealthy and so I you know was having this epiphany at the same time as thinking like actually do you know what I like I feel like I'm at rock bottom I don't know if I have the emotions to cope with another retrieval let's start like desperation I guess I you know I was like something's got to give there's and I refuse like I'm so tenacious I refuse to ever accept like the answer of like, this is just it, you know? And I see so many people in the fertility world that will just sit there with a fertility specialist and they're losing all of their faith, but they continue staying there. And I'm like, come on, disrupt that shit. You know, it's your money. It's your journey. It's your life, your relationship, you know, the, your life plans here. And you know what? Chain, we need to be open to change 
And we need to be able to be flexible enough to start taking charge of that. And, you know, like when I look back now at my second pregnancy, I was so much more confident in taking charge of the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, um, what were the steps that you were taking to help with your mental health? So a few things made a big difference in my life. So number one is I really, like I first, I, we went to, we went on this trip to Lombok. I hadn't been on a holiday uh, in such a long time. I was just building up annual leave at my job and had this kind of, you know, switch that actually, do you know what? My job isn't the most important thing in my life. My relationship, uh, the things that I have outside of work are the most important. And the things that I already have in my life are the most important uh, things in my life. I had this huge moment of gratitude in Lombok and I came back committed to writing in a gratitude journal every single day. And the way that a gratitude journal just, like, it's the start, it's, you know, I recommend to the warriors in my programs, um, a much more detailed way of journaling, but starting off with just gratitude and writing down three things that you're grateful for at the end of each day starts to flip the switch mm-hmm. to always feeling um, like really negative about things um, to trying to look out for what is already positive in our lives. And we go to bed. I have so many warriors who say, join my programs because they wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning, every night having panic attacks. Yeah. It's common, like it's a thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I believe for that is that our brain, whatever our last kind of thoughts are, whatever the energy is before we go to bed, that repeats in our subconscious while we're sleeping. Yeah. So if we can flick that switch to, positive like something more positive uh, you know and it's really hard like when you're in a place of gratitude if you close your eyes for a moment and think of what you are grateful for people you love those kind of thoughts it's really hard to feel those other emotions like desperation and hopelessness when you're in that place of gratitude so that was one of the things that I did Um, another thing that I did was I started saying affirmations and like when I say I started saying affirmations I I started saying them like nobody's business I would drive to work and the whole time be saying things to myself like Robin you can do this Robin you're stronger than this Uh, Robin you have an amazing life and so that was one of the other things that I did and you know I'll even remember once on my way to the hospital, I started to feel that anxiety kind of rise up again. And literally the whole way to the hospital for the blood tests, I repeated to myself, this is going to be okay. Robin, this is going to be okay. And, you know, like it takes a while. At first, when you start saying affirmations, you're like, this is bullshit. I'm like, yeah. I don't believe this shit. No, like, you, you know, your brain starts to, you know. Fight back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But by the time I get, it takes me 15 minutes to get to my clinic. By the time I got there, I felt so much different Mm -hmm. after, if you repeat that phrase and think of how many times you would be repeating that phrase every minute, uh, you know, so that many times I would say that. And it really like, you know, once you start saying it and becomes a habit to start talking to yourself in a different way, then that really starts to change the narrative in your mind. Um, and it's the same thing as well. We have, well, Our brain is processing something like 3.2 bits of information, million bits of information per second. But the majority of those are in our subconscious and 40 make it through to our conscious brain. 40 per second out of 3.2 million. So this is about us. When we're talking about affirmations out loud, bringing the positive into our conscious mind. And when you bring things into your conscious mind, you know, like our brains are so complex, your brain kind of starts to believe it. Like, why would she say this out loud if, you know, if it weren't true? And that's how we really start to change the dialogue in our minds. Um, You know, all sorts of things. I, I really visualized, I used to rub my belly and just picture myself pregnant all the time. I used to visualize it all the time. Yep. And it's crazy because all these little things, you won't see an instant night, you know, overnight, you know, successful 
story with them. And we are not saying that just do this and you will get pregnant. It is a very slow um, process. And I did a lot of the similar things that you did. And when I had my first miscarriage, I couldn't believe how well I handled it. Mm -hmm. Knowing myself before to now, and it really made my, like, I had to go, well, what was I doing? It's like, oh, I was every day writing down what I was grateful for. I was thinking good thoughts. I wasn't beating myself up and questioning, well, maybe I don't deserve to be a mother, or maybe I won't be a good enough mother, and that's why I'm infertile, you know, and read, yeah. like you say, just flipping this um, script in your head because you're talking to yourself anyways, right? <laughs> yeah. You might as well be nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And, you know, like I didn't do it at the time to, you know, it's only now that I know the impact that stress has on our fertility. I did it just to cope with my miscarriage mm -hmm. and to summons the strength to be able to undergo another retrieval and with potentially hyperstimulation again. And so I didn't, I, you know, didn't intend to do that. But then I did have, you know, a few months after the miscarriage, I had another cycle that failed and like you I was blown away at how not like I wasn't obviously happy that you know I was now going to have to undergo another retrieval because that was our last two embryos but I coped so much better than I had with any of my other cycles I felt really calm I felt really confident and I just I could trust that things were going to work out. I was doing all of the things that I felt were right. I was open to uh, change and learning new things on my journey. And so I just felt really confident that it was going to work. And so that really, you know, blew me away uh, on my journey. Yeah. And do you think they made, uh, you know, a, a big impact on going forth and doing the next round of IVF? Absolutely. I don't think in the state that I was after my miscarriage first, I don't think I would have been able to have another retrieval because I felt so stressed, but we had, you know, like great results. My, um, my retrieval rates stabilized. Um, my eggs still didn't survive. Like, so I had great retrieval rates, obviously, because we did ICSI instead of IVF. Uh, and a lot of them, made it to the freeze a lot of them a few of them didn't survive the freeze but with that same retrieval we that's olivia's from the same retrieval so um we have two little people from one retrieval yeah and and that's amazing and i am so happy for you um but you do have kind of with your second pregnant well your second you know full pregnancy um a bit of a another wobble oh another wobble in your story oh. right it wasn't a, a, a smooth sailing you know second full-term pregnancy tell us a little bit about that oh my so here's the thing i think that so many of us feel like once we get pregnant that's the end of that's the goal that's the end of the line the reality is that once you fall pregnant, so many warriors are a hotbed of anxiety about miscarriage and all the different things that can happen. And there, I feel that there is a much higher chance of complication when we undergo things like IVF. Nobody tells us that. We probably wouldn't listen anyway. Um, but I see a lot of warriors with things like subchronic hematomas. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a condition called major placenta previa with Olivia. So uh, we fell pregnant with Olivia two years later. She sat in the freezer for, or we fell pregnant a year later and she was born obviously two years later. But I had this condition called major placenta previa. And, and you know, at this point I had done so much mindset work. Uh, the mind, mindset has completely changed my life. Uh, infertility generally has completely changed my life. The way I eat, everything I do now is so different. But even my obstetrician even comments that she's never seen anyone handle what I've handled as well, which I put down to like, I, just like you say, I fucking worked hard for this. Like, it's not like nothing's a one fix. It's an ongoing thing, but I had this condition called major placenta previa. So to explain, you have your placenta, 
uh, and you, you can have a, placentas can be quite large, but what they do is they have little veins and arteries that plug into your uterus. So that fuels the blood flow. That's where the blood comes through to fuel the baby. It's very vascular, which means there's a lot of blood going in and out of this placenta uterus mash. My placenta mashed dead center over my cervix. So where the baby comes out, there was a plug of like blood that was fixed in through you, like arteries and veins and things like that. So baby had to come out via C-section, we know that, but there was a 90% chance, and I was like at the like almost guaranteed 90% chance because my placenta, I, I had a really large placenta, or not really large, but I had quite a large placenta, but B, it was like, like literally fucking dead center <laughs> over my cervix. And so I had a 90% chance of hemorrhaging during pregnancy and you can lose your entire i guess whatever you call it like blood supply in your body within 15 minutes so it's kind of, it's serious right and i had a 90 percent chance of that i made it to 37 weeks without having a bleed which is pretty damn great some women's babies have to be some women lose their lives. Some women's babies are born at like 22 weeks. Some women have to spend almost their entire pregnancies in hospital on bed rest. And so I made it to 37 weeks with a fairly uneventful pregnancy. But then I had a bleed. I had to rush to hospital. And literally from the time I started bleeding to the time Olivia was born was just over an hour. So that includes palming off my four-year-old, getting in the car and getting to the hospital, having like anaesthetists, starting the operation. That whole thing was an hour. It was, there was nurses waiting for me in the corridor of the hospital to arrive uh, because it's serious. Uh, and you know, like my uterus at this point in the surgery, like gave up. My uterus would not contract. So it was just like still spewing out blood uh, and hysterectomy. So Rob Dog has no uterus, uh, which means that I can now wear white pants 365 days of the year. <laughs> um, but you know, like the lengths that we go to to have these children. Uh, so, yeah. But it's a, I mean, if you didn't have that mindset, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? To, it is such a huge thing. And then, especially through infertility, that is like uh, your womanhood, right? You feel like you're broken already. And then to mm -hmm. lose all capability of doing again say if you did want to have more children too that's like right let's start let's go back to square one and start rebooting of like the positive i'm alive and i have a healthy baby right that's the basics yeah and i just you know how many of us on this infertility journey and especially our childbirth journeys just think to ourselves, you know what i'm just going to go with the flow and surrender uh, and we can often, especially when we're type A's, if you think about, I like to use the analogy of um, like swimming, right? So you're at the bottom uh, or at the top of a waterfall, right? And you're trying to swim against the tide and you're just not getting anywhere. Whereas if you just start to try and go like sideways, but go with the flow, that's how you get to the shore. You need, like you can't fight all of it. You need to work with it. And I was really committed to, I'm like, I'm going with the flow. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I, after my hysterectomy, number one, they were all like, wow, you handled that remarkably well. And, you know, like other shit happened. Olivia ended up spending five days. I was taken to intensive care for uh, like 24 hours. So I didn't get to see Olivia on her first night. My husband didn't make it to the birth because he was obviously at work. Uh, and so he got admitted to the maternity ward as like her mum. <laughs> um, I was in intensive care, uh, just like high as a kite on fentanyl. And um, the next thing, Olivia's been taken to special care nursery. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, I was quarantined for Olivia because I had a suspected infection. So I wasn't able to see my own daughter for 48 hours. So that was like, a, that was a bit of a shitstorm. After that, I was added to a Facebook group for 
women who had had, um, they call it a C-hist, like a cesarean hysterectomy. And that was like a light bulb moment for me because I was added to this Facebook group and it was a hotbed of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. I mean, and rightly so. That's a traumatic experience for women. And I, it just didn't resonate. I was in that group for maybe three days and I was like, that's just not how I feel about this experience at all. I like, I, you know, I've come out of that experience thinking, um, like there were so many things that just went right. I was in, I just happened to have an obstetrician who was in a hospital that had, um, it has one of the largest emergency room, uh, emergency departments in Australia. So they've obviously got so many people at that hospital. They've got so much expertise. And they do, they're the only hospital in WA that can do, in Western Australia, that can do cell salvage, which means they can recycle blood. I, I lost uh, half my volume of blood during that surgery. So they were able to recycle some of that and put it back in. I had such an experienced obstetrician and the head of obstetrics who obviously had to come and assist in the surgery. He was so experienced as well. Um, and you know, if I lived, well, I was born in Zimbabwe. If I lived in Zimbabwe, I'm pretty sure it would not have been such a good outcome. So I came out of that thinking, I dodged a bullet. Like, I really dodged a bullet through that experience. So, and the experience of others was not like that, which is completely understandable. But that was sort of a moment where I realized that, okay, like actually the, some of the work that I've done has had a big impact on my life. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it is only until you're on the other side that you realize that. And, um, you know, that's why we keep saying, you know, infertility is almost just the beginning. If you can crack, you have the time. If you can crack your code of whatever that is for you, um, not only your life going through infertility and, um, you know, motherhood, whatever that looks like for you or non-motherhood, um, you're going to be a better person. There's, it's just a win-win situation. And trauma is going to happen again in our lives. So we need to deal with this. Like if, if you feel really stressed in your life, uh, if you feel like you're not coping, if you're not, if you don't have healthy mechanisms for coping with stress, it's not like once infertility is over, your whole life is going to be magic and rosy people, you know, everybody's going to die at some point. You might have to deal with death and things like that at an earlier time in your life. So let's start putting in the habits and things like that. Now, if you have an autoimmune condition or something's not right with your immune system, that's not going to magically go away Mm -hmm. once you have a child. Um, So you can deal with it now or you can deal with it later. Uh, And but if you don't deal with it, things that are going on now, then they could get worse, uh, but they're not going to magically go away. And you might end up, you know, just spending 10 years in a shitstorm of IVF and things like that, uh, still stuck in the place that you were when you started. Yeah, exactly. Especially with any kind of health issue and the reason why you are infertile, you know, it's a huge thing to take care of it and not just put a bandaid over it because you are potentially impacting your child's health future and like you say it's not going to go away and if you get pregnant i don't under um, i think we all underestimate because i think it's just society right how um much pressure pregnancy puts on a woman's body and what your organs and all that kind of stuff needs to do to support two people um your issues can just keep flaring up and flaring up and presenting in a different way and then all of a sudden yeah, you have other really full-blown issues that you're going to maybe potentially always have to be on medication because sometimes when you get to a certain level of something, there's not really any coming back. You can, you know, care, you can care for yourself, but to fully reverse it, you know, some people just go too far, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. um, Yeah. So we talk about hindsight being a bitch. Uh, with everything that you have dealt with, been through, lived through, studied, what's the yeah. one piece of advice that you would give someone going through infertility right now? Only one. Do, Only one. do you know? I have so much. Um, I have, there's so much hindsight and there's so much that I wish 
that I knew. But I think for me, like it, it really does come back to being willing to have an open mind and being willing to like, you know, whenever I'm smug, so I felt really smug about those me goring packets. Um, <laughs> I felt really smug that I was going to fall pregnant straight away. Like this is my number one thing. And if I had had an open mind to be able to reflect uh, on, you know, what I was doing, some of my behaviors, what was important in my life uh, and things like that, then I may have really changed the course of my life. And obviously for me, you know, the number one thing that failing that I think I had was things like staying in a ridiculously stressful job that I hated from the start. Uh, it was It was a fantastic learning experience. So I, I suppose no regrets really, but you know, I would have like stress is fucked up. Um, and so I would have had an open mind enough to be able to reflect on myself and to be able to assess my life uh, at a more holistic level rather than just being stuck in my life. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it does. You, it's, it's taking a step back from the norm, right? And yeah. not looking at the woohoo stuff that mm. um, we, you know, maybe see us do or other people do and go, nope, too woohoo. Just be open to it. And if you are open to it, your path might just go a little bit easier. Yeah. And I mean, like, my story is probably different to so many other fertility warriors out there in that, like, I was onto it with um, my diet and lifestyle. I saw a naturopath right away but I think we can get so fixed into conventional medicine and thinking that it's one or the other yeah like if I'm at an IVF clinic then nothing else Matt like I don't need to do anything else no like shit in shit out if you're still eating so much shit then like surely that's just logical sense that your egg quality might also not be as great as it could be. So it's just, I think, you know, looking at things from a holistic level, not thinking as well that, you know, on the same level that just diet and lifestyle, like if I just change my diet, that, you know, and that's what I thought for such a long time. That was two years of me being like, nailing this because I've got the diet. There's a holistic picture in here. And that picture may include for many people, conventional medicine. But I think that our diet, I think that our mindset, there's, you know, like a whole piece in there. Let's not just have one piece of the puzzle. Let's try and work uh, on the whole pie. Exactly. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of a good example of that. I did paleo, which most people would agree that that is a very healthy diet. It's a low inflammation diet. It would have never worked for me. You know, I had to go on a different level to fix my issues. So yeah, it's not getting hung up that like, oh, I'm doing everything perfect because it's probably not your perfect. If you're still not mm -hmm. achieving your goal, even though you're doing maybe better to someone else. And that's the thing, maybe just getting out of like that comparison mode of, well, I'm doing everything great. And why does she get to eat McDonald's, smoke crack and get pregnant on the first go? Right? Well, because well that's a whole yeah. nother story but uh, <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for joining us um tell our listeners where they can find you and what you've got going on at the moment so the best place to find me kind of the place where i hang out is on instagram so you can find me at robin birkins that's robin with a y um and i have the fertility warriors podcast where i obviously talk a lot about mindset a lot about my fuck-ups in life uh, and things like that. My two, I guess, core products are I run a monthly membership, which includes like a monthly mantra, meditation, meal plans, and I guess like fertility and lifestyle hacks. But I also run a Fertility Warrior intensive program, which is like the mindset stuff. So it's a 12-week program that we run through and we do that twice a year in like in April and November. Great. 
Well, once again, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, showing us that we can take control of our diagnosis no matter what stage we're at. And I'm sure we'll speak to you again sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. A few more things before you go. You can find all the links to anything talked about on this podcast, especially how to connect with our special guest. While you're down there, make sure you leave us a rating or a review. It would totally help this podcast out. If you would like to connect with me more, head over to the website. It's mymindfulme.com. There's a free membership over on the website where you can connect with like-minded people and really push your journey forward. We also have all the videos that I do up there for you and uh, the newsletter goes out about two, three times a month. And we also have pre-registration for the Fertility Reconnect course. It's a six-week course to help you really dial in what's going on in your body, what foods you can and cannot eat, and we're going to dig deep into the mental blocks you're having and how it could be affecting your fertility health. So that's it. Thank you once again for joining us on the Infertile Diagnosis and have a beautiful day.